So I wanted to begin as I was thinking about body, uh, our bodies and loving kindness. I thought about a visit that I made to a hospital a number of years ago. And I was um, sitting um, by a student of mine who was diagnosed with cancer and holding her hand. And uh, for those of you who have uh, sat with someone that is dying, you know, the body goes through different processes. I've heard that you have heard very um, detailed explanations of that. I'm not going to go into that. Um, but as I was holding her hand and I looked at it, I, I was so moved by the beauty of her hand just a hand and part of why I felt so moved was the context of a person that I loved who was dying and partly it was just what it is in a moment to look at our life anew and to see it with fresh eyes and how the ordinariness that um, that comes about when we gloss over things can sort of open up into feeling the beauty of the touch of life in a hand when um, when it is just in its very sort of thin, skinny, veined, wrinkled expression. And I, and I think of that also in relationship to how when someone is dying, we are in touch with their beautiful qualities and how actually it's not that it's death that is so moving, as much as it is the beautiful qualities of the person who is dying shine through in that moment or at least touch our hearts and in feeling touched by this life that is in front of us, we open to their beautiful qualities and how when we think of our bodies, at the very same time as we think about our bodies, we are thinking about our beautiful qualities because the body and the mind, the body and the heart are, at, are totally interrelated and um, supportive of each other. I know that there are many religions that have separated the body from the mind. And there are some religions that have even distorted that separation and made the body somehow negative or evil in, in, in the extreme. You know, if not evil, at least that somehow our salvation and our heart and our opening comes through transcending the body. And that love is actually outside of the body. 
that somehow love has to do with God or somehow love has to do with um, 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 joining with the body of Christ, for example. Um, or even, you know, I, I, can, I was brought up in the Jewish tradition, but my parents um, weren't really religious, so I actually didn't go to synagogue very much. Um, so what comes to me is the image of Christ on a cross and that, that there's something about that suffering in the body was the conditions for the salvation of everyone. Now, I, I don't know if that's a distortion and I'm totally open to hearing from you later if that's some horrible distortion. What is beautiful about Buddhism is that the Buddha understood that actually the body isn't separate from love and isn't separate from liberation, but is codependent on consciousness and on love and on liberation. That we cannot be liberated into love and wisdom without our bodies. And when I think of the Dalai Lama, for example, and I look at his face, or when I've been in the same room with him, that is so apparent, isn't it? That his love and his wisdom shine through in how he lives in his body. So that when you look at him, it feels like you're looking at a beautiful person. You know, and it's not like he's handsome in the ways that that um, male models are handsome in GQ or Vogue or any of those magazines, or even in the New York Times. <laughs> you know, his nose isn't in the traditional nose structure and eye structure that would constitute a beautiful face. But he's exquisite. His face is beautiful. And recently I saw um, a shot of Nelson Mandela because it was his birthday last month, and so... Um, there were some celebrations in South Africa, and I saw his face, and I felt such a smile in my heart watching him because he is such a beautiful being. And that, that beauty came through in his face. And again, it is a face that is a light, even though it isn't the traditional structure. So when we talk about the, our bodies, we're actually also talking about our hearts. When we talk about our hearts, we are acknowledging our beautiful qualities. Each one of us here has them. The quality of generosity, the quality of faith, the quality of presence or mindfulness awareness, the quality of concentration and focus, of compassion, of patience, of truthfulness or loving kindness, of equanimity or joy, the, 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 um, the quality of wisdom and right understanding and right intention, those beautiful qualities actually infuse our bodies and, um, and in 
that infusion. We inhabit our body in a way that becomes the conditions for loving kindness because the theme that I was speaking to was the theme of loving kindness towards the body. How do we love our bodies? The Buddha said we love our bodies by seeing what is beautiful inside of us. And by acknowledging that, we then begin to inhabit that in our bodies. It is, it is an incredibly revolutionary act to begin to inhabit our bodies in that way because we know, and probably other speakers have spoken to this fact, that this culture sees beauty very divorced from the qualities of the heart and sees it purely as a sort of, um, as a, um, as a form. Uh, so I think of Cher, and this has stuck with me for years and years, and, um, and hearing her on an interview say that she really didn't want to live anymore because she felt that the, um, she reached the height of her life when she was 25. And the interviewer was really surprised and said, well, what do you mean you reached the height of your life at 25? And she said, well, that's when I was at the peak of my beauty. And I don't really see any point in living anymore because from now it's just downhill. That, that misunderstanding of where real beauty lies. And that is really um, um, uh, fundamental in this culture of how we also have been mistaught around our bodies. And I am pretty sure that every single one of us in this room judges our body in some way or another. No? No? Or in the past? No? In the past. And, and that, that, that judgment comes from that conditioning of seeing beauty as something that is divorced from the heart and our beautiful qualities. And, and lurking at our bodies from that conditioned response and the outcome of looking at our bodies from that conditioned perspective is that we engender more negative qualities because the reality is, just like Cher named, that it always goes downhill. <laughs> so I have, I have related to my stomach for years and years with a negative judgment because, because that's how my parents related to my stomach. They were like, you know, my father would say to me, well, it looks like your stomach's getting a little big. That's what he would say. And I, would, and I was brought up with the sensitivity of, oh my God, my stomach's getting a little big. You know, and um, I have very knobbly knees, and my mother has knobbly knees, 
and she 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 was always a little um ashamed of her knobbly knees and she, so she would point out my knobbly knees you know and i grew up with a self-consciousness around my knobbly knees so the kind of conditioning that we have um, around how we look, and uh, particularly for women, and then for guys, it's. But not only because it goes both ways. I I remember reading this um, story. I don't. I was living in Massachusetts at the time, where someone was training in um, in uh, in America. It's rugby. No, it's football. Soccer. Soccer. Well, one of those anyway. And, and died because the training was so intense. Because the stress on strength and performance in terms of our bodies is so strong that we are willing, just like Cher willing to die because she's not beautiful, we are willing as a culture to push ourselves to the point of death in order to be strong. So the kinds of cultural values that actually take us away from where the heart of our liberation is and the heart of our liberation and what you all have been doing in this community is to really cultivate the beautiful qualities of mind. So cultivating love cultivating compassion and patience and generosity and concentration. And what the Buddha is saying to us is trusting that that cultivation will shine through in the body, which I know it does, right? And in that, we begin to feel beautiful in new ways. And I want to read this um, I want to read this poem because it it um, it speaks to that by um, Fleur Adcock. My face catches the wind from the snow line and flushes with a flush that will never wholly settle. Well, that was a metropolitan vanity wanting to look young forever to pass. I was never a pre-Raphaelite beauty and only pretty enough to be seen with a man who wanted to be seen with a passable woman. But now that I am in love with a place that doesn't care how I look, and if I am happy, happy is how I look, and that's all. My hair will grow gray in any case, my nails chip and flake, my waist thicken, and the years work all their usual changes. If my face is to be weather-beaten as well, it's little enough lost for a year among the lakes and vales where simply to look out my window at the high pass makes me indifferent to mirrors and to what my soul may wear over its new complexion. So... um. There are these two streams of practice in the Dharma, and one is the cultivation of mindfulness, and through mindfulness, beginning to see impermanence, which you all have had in these series a lot of stress on, right? 
seeing the impermanence of the body. And then the other is looking, is the cultivation of the heart and mind through the practice of loving kindness and compassion. And so I really, I, I wanted to speak to that next because recently about Mm, three and a half, four, maybe four and a half months ago, I was carrying, I tried to carry a chair that I had bought for bad backs and ended up, <laughs> ended up in a lot of pain. And, um, uh, went to see a chiropractor and the chiropractor cracked me, which has often actually helped me. Somehow it got much worse, and I ended up flying back to Massachusetts and getting an MRI, and it seemed as though a chip of my herniated disc had um, floated up my spine and lodged against the nerve column at L3 and L4, so that whenever I moved, it was really painful. And... um, the doctor I saw in Massachusetts said, well, you know, you never know with these things. I'm going to give you some um, prednisone and I'm going to give you a shot of cortisone, a couple of shots in the spine, and that might do the trick. So that's what happened, and I came back to, um, I came back here to Oakland. I was um, teaching, and it was okay for a little bit, and then it got really bad. And so basically for the next six weeks to two months I was in bed and many of the community came and brought me food every day and helped shop and did chores for me and I I worked with the places inside of me that felt deeply betrayed by my body. And, you know, it's really interesting on this path because the process of opening for most of us is not just a um, a one-shot deal where we open and we're fully in, um, enlightened and we're arahants and that's it. That's happened to some people. There's stories during the Buddhist time of that, of people opening and going through all the stages at once and being totally free. For most of us, it's we have openings of one kind or another, and then life brings us another challenge and highlights the place where we aren't free. And so my my um, the pain that I went through and that feeling of, I trusted my body and I trusted that I could heal and it's not healing. Brought up, so brought up that place of this assumption that I owned my body, that somehow I owned my body and that if I ate, you know, really well and if I did yoga well enough and did all these things that somehow I would be able to heal it. And if not that, at least lying in bed, doing hours of matter, of loving kindness to my back, and hours of loving kindness to my pain, would somehow heal my body. And it didn't. 
And it's, it's heartbreaking. It is actually a heartbreaking process to acknowledge that we have no control of our bodies, no direct control of our bodies. And it is heartbreaking to really open to how incredibly vulnerable they are, that it just took lifting up this chair for something to break and something to lodge against my spine. And it's been an, it's been an amazing journey for me because in acknowledging in a deeper way that I have no control over my body directly and that in some way it is broken, it somehow the nerve seems to be more damaged than we had initially thought so that even though I am now two months post-surgery. I can't walk very much, and I'm in still a significant amount of pain. In holding that brokenness, I have also found a new relationship of love to my body, and it reminds me of that hand of my friend that I held as she was dying, that in acknowledging the vulnerability of our bodies, just in the same way that we hold a child, our love is elicited. And I, I, have, I have loved my body more than I ever have in its health because I took my health for granted. And so there is something really beautiful about acknowledging the places where we do feel broken in our bodies or where we do feel imperfect in our bodies because it can become such a wonderful condition for love and compassion. It reminds me of the same way um, we relate to nature. You know, going outside and looking at a beautiful tree, um, the um, rosemary who very kindly drove me here so that I could sit with you and practice with you tonight. Um, and I noticed this wonderful tree right here outside and just how magnificent it is, its trunk and how old it is and its branches. And the ways that we appreciate nature because we don't own it. You know, there's that relationship of deep reverence because it is, it is outside of that relationship of possession. In the same way, this practice is inviting us to reverence our bodies because we are a part of nature. That, that stream of pressure, tingling, lifting, um, falling of the breath, the, the pressure you feel right now, a part of nature in the same way that the tree is a part of nature. The boniness of knee, the softness of the stomach, 
the softness of water, the hardness of the earth, because it is part of earth and the nature, it becomes the conditions for reverence. The way that if that tree was struck down by a storm or lightning, and you came next week and you saw it on the ground, your initial response would be love and care. Oh, that tree. Oh, it's been struck down. Oh, my heart goes out to it and it's life and it's ended. That is that same capacity as we face the places that aren't working so well in our bodies and continue, will continue not to work so well. Oh, that life of my nerve that works so well and doesn't anymore, that's sort of been struck down in the same way. In that openness of our hearts to our bodies, we actually come to see how it joins nature. And in that relationship of opening, the mind begins to be freed. So that um, that love and that reverence to our bodies. One of the one of the um, practices that has particularly helped me in that reverence actually came, and I can't remember what his name was, from a Sri Lankan monk when I was sitting the three-month retreat at IMS, many, many, one of the three-month retreats many years ago. And, um, and it actually is a loving-kindness meditation to each part of the body. So I don't know if someone has mentioned the 32 parts of the body to you. So this is, this is the other side of it. This is cultivating love to the parts of our body by offering thanks to all the different parts that you would like to offer thanks to. He did the, um, the, the feet, the legs, the arms, the back, the stomach, and then all the organs, including the um, eyes, ears, nose, mouth. So it goes something like this. Feet, I give you thanks for the blessings you have brought me, and I offer you wishes for good health and happiness. Legs, I give you thanks for the blessings that you bring me, and I wish you good health and happiness. My back, I give you thanks for the blessings you have brought me, and I wish you good health and happiness. All the organs in my abdominal cavity, my stomach, my pancreas, my spleen, my small intestines. I give you thanks for the blessings that you have brought me, and I wish you good health and happiness. My heart and lungs, and my ribcage for protecting them, I give you thanks for the blessings that you bring me and wish you good health and happiness. For my arms, for all the muscles there and the bones, for all the mobility that my arms and hands bring me, I give you thanks and wish you good health and happiness. To my eyes and ears, 
to my nose and mouth, to all that lies inside that is described as brain, I give you thanks for the blessings that you bring me and wish you good health and happiness. To my whole body, that is my life, that carries consciousness, is part of consciousness, I give you thanks for all the blessings you bring me and wish you good health and happiness. So thank you. And I wanted to um, leave a bit of time um, just to see if you had any questions. Um, I wanted to respond actually to something that Shyla said, but it's in the same area. Uh, she said when she was on a retreat for some months, that there were no mirrors mm-hmm. and I had this incredible panic feeling that I, if I couldn't see myself in a mirror that I wouldn't exist mm-hmm. it was really quite startling mm-hmm. and it feels related to what you're talking about mm-hmm. in the sense that my, I have to see my body to know that it's real right, 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 right And you know, the amazing thing about a mirror, I was just thinking about that, is that, you you know, in indigenous cultures, we see ourselves through the reflection that others give us. It's not through mirrors. And it's through that acknowledgement and reflection that we also know our place as beautiful. You know, and that's what—that's another reason why the Buddha said that Sangha was so important. Because on the one hand, there's this emphasis on the cultivation of the mind. And then on the other, there's this understanding that we see our own beauty and our beautiful qualities because they're acknowledged in others. And that's really the true mirror. And the sadness about this culture is that it, that it doesn't reflect that in the ways that, um, in the newspapers and in TV. Often it isn't be- the beautiful qualities that are acknowledged, but the horrible qualities like competition and jealousy and envy and possession. So, you know, Sangha is so radical because when you look at each other, you know, especially at in this environment, you're looking at someone's practice and how beautiful they are in it. And, and that's such a treasure and it's such a refuge. So really, that's where the mirror is. You know, as well as from the, our capacity to um, see our beautiful qualities. And that's, the, that's an appreciative joy practice. You know, it's often directed at, um, in the uh, diviner birds, it's directed towards someone else being happy for their successes and their strengths. 
in the commentaries in the Visuddhimagga, there's actually a practice of cultivating joy, and I just talked about that. And that is really seeing and contemplating our own generosity. So when you give tonight, the Buddha says, go back to your home and contemplate that you gave and how beautiful that is. You know, and if you open the door for someone or if you came early and put the chairs down, contemplate that you gave your time in that way and how beautiful it is. And it is it is a really important part of our practice to see our beautiful qualities, generosity or patience or faith. Some of us might have very strong faith and that becomes the that. Actually, those energies are the energies that begin to inhabit our bodies and become the conditions for loving our bodies. So that's the other mirror, seeing our beautiful energies and um, acknowledging them. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. You know, and just to say, just to say, because this culture is so judgmental around bodies, how important it is to acknowledge our own judgment because when we're on a spiritual path, often we take that as a reason to be ashamed that we're, that we're being judgmental. Like, oh, I shouldn't be judgmental because I'm a meditation practitioner and, you know, or, and I've reached samadhi levels and I should know better, you know. But the reality is that we are going to be judgmental because this is the culture that we're living in. And we, we would have to be dead not to have imbibed judgment. You know, that is the conditioning. And because that's the conditioning, it's going to come up. And so, it, you know, when we talk about loving kindness directed towards our bodies, we're really being invited to challenge the judgments as untruths because they are never true. Judgment never has any wisdom. It is always based on delusion and aversion. And so there's no truth to it. And and that's such a wonderful um, invitation, not to judge our judgment, but just to see, yes, of course it's going to be there. Of course, we, when we're going shopping, it's going to say, like, God, I just really don't look like how I look in the mirror, you know. It's going to be there. No problem. Our practice, though, gives us the confidence to say, I do not have to believe it. It's there and I don't have to believe it. As we disbelieve the judgment, first as we face it and acknowledge it's there, and then as we take up the challenge of not believing it, the judgment uncovers the heart and this capacity to love our bodies as they are and to love ourselves as they are. Because really it's not so different. The body and the mind are co-created not one or the other. So it's really about loving ourselves. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. This judgment of ourselves, this uh, criticism, this mm-hmm. critiquing of ourselves, this is something that we're taught at a very early age. Yeah. Is that we're not self-critical, we're not the consumers mm-hmm. of Western society. 
Besides my wife, I was on a business trip one time, and I think the most beautiful woman I ever met in the world, she was about 250 pounds, but you could see she had the warmest heart. And she just smiled, and she was so happy, and she was less concerned about her outward appearance, although she should have sort of kept herself nice. But the point I'm trying to say is, just as you said, the beauty came from within. When you were around her, the aura, the way she waited, you, you just really enjoyed it. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. That's right. And I, do, I don't know if any of you um, have uh, seen a book called Early Winters. It's a, a book of um, Native American Indian poetry with photographs by the poems. And in the faces, you see these very, very wrinkled faces from people who've been living outside in the sun all the time. You know, and so again, not traditionally beautiful looking and yet so beautiful because their life was shining through. And, you know, and not just that, but I, I, I would like to invite you um, for just a few minutes to take up the challenge of turning towards someone. Um, just right now, turning towards someone and just taking a moment to look at each other in silence. Yeah, just find someone. Uh, find you, It might be you have to move and find a partner. So, and, and, um, and uh, find a partner. And if you can't find a partner, find a threesome. So I'd like everyone to do this for a moment. And, and to begin with... Um, Close your eyes for a moment and just come back because this, you know, embarrassment might come up or self-consciousness, which we're conditioned to, so of course. So um, so allow your eyes to close and just sort of come back into your sitting and your body. And then allow your eyes to open and to see this being in front of you. Seeing all that is strong and beautiful about them, their practice, their wisdom, and their effort, and their determination, and the love that they carry in their hearts, seeing it in their eyes and in their mouth that this being before you is a being who carries these beautiful qualities of love and beauty and generosity and patience and compassion and truthfulness. And acknowledging this with this person so that they really feel seen and acknowledged for their beauty. And then allow your eyes to close. Let's see if you can acknowledge the sitting and the breath for a moment again. And then allow your eyes to open again and to see the struggles of this person in front of you, that this person has carried the struggles of a body that has been sick or in pain, 
has carried the struggles of loss and grief, has carried the broken-heartedness that comes with living life. And see if you would like to acknowledge this reality so that this person sitting in front of you feels held in their struggles. And in this seeing the beauty that comes from this as well, the beauty that comes from our suffering. And then allow your eyes to close. Appreciating yourself for being willing to do this exercise. Thank you. Maybe you'd like to say thank you to your partner. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.